Amen. Praise God. And um, my wife uh, made reference to her grandmother, and um, she raised her three children in church all by herself, and she was a single mother, and uh, uh, God provided for her, and she put something in those kids. And I want to tell you that uh, uh, whatever situation you're in, if you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. As my wife mentioned, we're so honored today to have my father-in-law who pastors a great, great church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, this is a church that has experienced great revival, many people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, many miracles, many great things have happened. And uh, he served faithfully there now for, is it 20, 26 years? 28, 28 years as a senior pastor in uh, one location. And God has used him powerfully. And this is uh, uh, one of the strongest voices in my life. And whenever I have questions or about to make a decision or facing some difficult situation, he is one of the men that, um, that I will call and uh, get his insight and ask him to pray for us. And uh, he's a part of Life Church, even though some of you have never met him before. He's a part of this church uh, because he serves as a, a, an oversight or an elder in my life. And I'm so glad that he is with us today. And by the, by the way, he's also a great preacher. So you're ready to get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. So why don't we stand right now as we invite Brother Keller to, to the front right here. Let's welcome him. Before I turn over to him, it's so good to have the new baby with us, Ruth and Nima. New baby, has first time in the house of the Lord today. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brown, and praise the Lord, everybody. My, my, my. There is a lot of energy in this place today. And that's a good thing. We are certainly happy to be with all of you. Now, I'm not promising you, you, you already have perceived that, I'm not promising you that I uh, can keep pace with all these young people that were on the platform today, but uh, we're going to do our best and bring the word of the Lord to you here in just a, a moment. Why don't you be seated? We are certainly delighted to be here with, at Live Church and, of course, with, uh, with Pastor Brown and my sweet, sweet daughter and my beautiful granddaughters, and uh, we have just ex just enjoyed this time with them so very much. This is the first time that I have been in this facility, and um, uh, what, I'm, what I am really impressed with is, now the facilities are nice, but this church just keeps growing and growing and growing. That's a great thing, great thing. Of course, here today we're happy to, to be with, uh, with our family, extended family here, as my daughter has said, and we are very proud of our, our uh, daughter and her husband, Brother Brown, outstanding preacher, and uh, preaches a lot of meetings around and one of our church's favorite preachers. They always get excited when Brother Brown comes and either teaches or preaches, and um, so we're just honored to be here today with all of you. And I know time's marching on here. It is a little bit after 12, and normally that means lunch. And so I've got some real competition here today. All right. Let me just say a word here. Uh, not only 
happy to have our family here, uh, and I certainly don't want to um, uh, to fail to mention that that I uh, my my wonderful wife is here. I just am so delighted that um, she was able to come and have this family time together, all of us here at this time. And then, of course, Shanna is from Fort Wayne. I don't know if she told you all that. She may uh, may not be announcing that, but she is, and and uh, she is a Hoosier, and she is out here temporarily. I just want to clear everything up here today. Now, Shanna is a wonderful young lady and uh, very gifted, talented, and uh, it's so good to see her here again today. And then uh, your praise team has done an outstanding job here leading your worship <laughs> and helping usher us into the presence of the Lord here today. And I'm moving on. Let me jump into our message here, and um, uh, I will be... Uh, calling your attention to the book of 1 Samuel, if you want to be digitalizing your way there by way of whatever technology you have, or if you just have a, 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 an old-fashioned Bible, which still works. Let me mention uh, Brother Lane, Brian Lane, that I think is going to be with you next week. Now, now let me just let me get, just give you a heads up here on that. You don't want to miss that. Now, if you've got a choice of sitting here today or being here next week for Brother Lane, you better just leave now and come and hear Brother Lane next week because I'm telling you, the man has the gift of faith like nobody I've seen. He preaches for us a lot. And we can always expect things to happen. Matter of fact, you should bring everybody that needs a miracle of healing or deliverance. And I'm not talking about just going through the motions, but I'm talking about things that we can, can document, things that have happened a few weeks ago. He was there. Just, just I don't want to belabor this here, but just to punctuate the point, uh, we have a very dear man in our church that has been having horrible knee problems and so bad that when he would get out of his vehicle at work, he would hide himself from his boss so his boss wouldn't see that, that he was just hobbling along and he could just barely go. And long story short, a few weeks ago, Brother Lane was there and um, something told this man, just get out in the aisle and worship God. He said, to himself, oh no, I'm not doing that. So he felt the prompting again, and he obeyed God, stepped out. As soon as he stepped out into the aisle, his knees were immediately healed, and he has no problem since. We have had guests that have come, a lady that was scheduled for neck surgery, totally healed, another lady with back surgery, just so many miracles that 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 happened, and they're going to happen next week when Brother Lane is here, uh, and you just need to fill this place up for that occasion. All right? Good deal. And uh, <clears throat> now, I will try not to be too lengthy here, but um, uh, calling your attention here to First Samuel, 
chapter 13, 13 through 14, says, And Samuel said unto Saul, Why hast thou done foolishly? Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now I know probably minds are wandering a little bit here today. We've slowed things down dramatically. We'll try to pick it up here in a little bit, but giving you the background here, it is the Old Testament story of King Saul who disobeyed God and was presumptuous before God, and God is telling him through the prophet, I'm going to remove you, Saul, and there's going to be another that's going to take your place. That other is found in the 16th chapter, uh, verses 11 through 15, and Samuel, the prophet, said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Now, all right, let me, let me give you a title just to kind of wrap your thoughts around here today, your mind around. It seems like a very strange paradox, and I don't know if they're going to be putting this on the screen or what, but, uh, but let me give you this title, Failure. We're going to talk about failure today, and then I give you a very strange paradox to failure Simply this, failure, the secret to success. Think about it for just a moment. Failure, the secret to success. Now, some of you with that thought in mind probably already calculating and saying, man, I'm going to be a great success because I have failed many, many times. Well, you know what? Welcome, welcome Welcome to humanity. Failure is a part of life. Failure in our society has generally been, re been regarded by mankind as that which is undesirable and to be avoided at all cost. But I propose to you this afternoon that Scripture it seems to indicate to us that God in his sovereignty weaves, somehow weaves failure into the tapestry of our lives so that when we do succeed, God will receive the glory and not ourselves. Everybody 
look at somebody and say, I am a success. Oh, this can be tough today. Mm. Mm. Now, what happened to all this energy over here? My goodness. It's time for the preaching of the word. They didn't need help. I need help. Okay? All right. Brother Sister Sanders, I want to say also, so good to see you folks again. Very, very dear friends for many, many years. By design, by design let, me, let me remind you that in God's economy and by design, the very thing that would destroy us sometimes is a thing that will make us if we allow God to work in our lives. Very quickly, a background setting here, you know it. Saul, who was the anointed of God, stood head and shoulders above the crowd, and he was the king of Israel, made a horrible mistake, and a mistake of the wrong kind. He was presumptuous, self-willed, and God saw that in Saul. It was a definite flaw in his character. Long story short, God said, I'm going to remove you, Saul, and I'm going to find somebody that has a heart after me. And so the story goes that the sons of uh, Jesse were called, and uh, the youngest of them, a young man by the name of David, was anointed as king of Israel. Now let me lay a little foundation here. David holds the distinct honor in Scripture as being what the Bible terms as a God or a man after God's own heart. Strange, when we look at the life of David, it was checkered with failure. Not once, but often David falters in his relationship with God. I am going to be preaching to some of you today that are held captive by your failure, by your stumblings, and by your mistakes. I want you to recognize that failure is something that that you, that you can use and God can use to your advantage to overcome the situations in life that have held you down and from being what you want to be and what God wants you to be. Let's look for a moment at the life of David. David is heralded as the great king of Israel after having been the king of one of the greatest dynasties in all of the world, particularly in that time. We understand that when we look closely at the life of David, again, that it was checkered with failure. Why then does the scripture say that David was a man after God's own heart? Let me remind some of you today that God is not looking for perfect people, but he is looking for people that have a heart to serve him and a heart to love him. Come on, if you qualify there, why don't you put your hands together and give him some praise. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if God could ever use me. Well, let's look at the life of David. For just a moment here, a brief history of David. We understand that one of his failings happened when he disobeyed God and numbered the children of Israel. You say, that's not so bad. But the result of that mistake and failure that David made caused the death of 70,000 people in Israel. I didn't say seven people. I said 70,000 people. 
on down the line and the road just a little bit as we put David's life under the microscope. We see that while David goes down in history as the greatest king that Israel ever had, he was one that suffered many, many failures. And so we see that not only was he a failure in numbering the people of God and causing 70,000 people to, uh, to lose their lives, we see that he was a failure as a husband and as a father. How would you like to have this in your family? We understand that Tamar, who was David's daughter, was raped by her half-brother, who was David's son, Amnon. Amnon was killed by another of David's sons by the name of Absalom. And then Absalom himself was killed by David's men. And so David's head is spinning and reeling while he sits with his purple robes and the crown leaning heavily upon his head of the greatest dynasty in the world. His household, his family is, at, is literally uh, coming apart and unraveling at the seams. Now, after several years, when you think that David had life together and he had learned from his mistakes, he made one of the greatest blunders of his life. While the kings were away to battle and engaged in a horrific warfare, David stayed home. He was a little older now, and so he kicked back a little bit to rest. He walked out on the balcony of his palace only to see the beautiful woman Bathsheba bathing herself. David lusted. He made the mistake that is so familiar with so many down through the annals and the pages of history. He brought Bathsheba into his palace, had an immoral, illicit affair with her, birthed an illegitimate son, but that was not enough. He, he had orders given to have her husband, an innocent and a loyal man, killed while in battle only to cover his own sin. David's life, I remind you, was checkered with failure. And so we find that the most remarkable lessons we see in the life of David, it is what, is what necessarily is not written there. The story in the life of David is not about his triumph nor his tragedy. His, his life is characterized by contrast, so much so that thousands of years later, all over the world, his story is told repeatedly to generation after generation. But the most remarkable lesson we learn about the life of David, again, is not his triumphs nor his tragedies, but, and not his failings nor his successes, but it is how David allowed himself to recover from the many times of great failings in his life. I am talking to somebody today. The only thing that holds you back and holds you down from success on your job and in your own life and in your family is that you measure success by the standards of the world. Your life is so, so filled with failings, you feel as though you will never be a success. But let me remind you that failure is a stepping stone. Let me remind you that failure is not a person. Failure is just an event. And it's an event for you to learn from and to move on. 
We ask ourselves, as I have many times, as I have been intrigued with the life of David, how did he feel when he made the mistake and was a failure and numbered the people of Israel and thought it was all right, everything was okay now. I'm King David, I'm exempt from the wrath of God. Only to find out that the angel of the Lord came swinging the sword through the land of Israel. And because of one man's sin, because of his own sin, homes were torn, lives were shattered, dreams were ruined, babies were buried, simply because David got made the mistake and was a failure in the eyes of God. Can you imagine? He said, God, let not the people of Israel be judged, but me, but 70,000 people died because of his failure. Or can you just look and see just how did David feel as he ruled with majesty over a kingdom, a house like no other before him, but yet his own house was falling apart at the seams and, and crumbling at his feet. How did David reconcile that with his greatness and what Israel looked at and saw when his own house was crumbling. David, how can you rule Israel like you do and you're a failure at home? I'm talking to somebody today whose children have gone astray. Your daughter perhaps has gone wandering and become promiscuous. Your son rebellious. I'm talking to you today. It's not over. It's not a person. It's just an event. There is a promise that God has for you. I am reminded of one of the greatest truths of Scripture that when Samson went down to Timnath to take a, to take a wife of the daughters of the Philistines, it says that a young lion roared out against him. The young lion roared out against him, and David had a decision, to, or, I'm sorry, Samson had a decision to make. Do I flee from this young lion or do I turn and face it? And we understand and know that Samson turned and he faced the, the, the lion. He faced the problem. The Bible says he took and he rent it as he would a little lamb and cast it aside. Two weeks later, approximately coming back from going down and failing God and taking a wife and a woman of the Philistines. On the way back, he thought, I'll turn aside and I'll see what happened to this lion that would have destroyed me. Walking over to the carcass of the lion and perhaps taking his foot and rolling it over, he saw the swarm of bees in the carcass. Upon noticing the swarm of bees in the carcass, he reached inside the carcass and took the honeycomb. And therefore, the scripture says, out of the eater comes forth meat and out of the strong comes for sweetness. I'm here to tell somebody, the lions have roared against you. The thing that would have destroyed you and is trying to destroy you today, I promise you, as you will put it in the hands of God, you can return to that same problem, reach inside of that same problem, and that thing that would have destroyed you is going to give you strength and sustenance to be what you have always wanted to be in God. Failure is, is not the end, but it's a new beginning. I said failure is not the end, but it is the new beginning. 
And so we ask ourselves back to the story of David. Just how did he feel when, when, when Nathaniel the prophet walked in and told him and said, oh, king, and the king was sitting, uh, sitting upon his throne with all of the majesty and the grandeur of the palace. And here comes the little prophet walking up the aged old man up to David and said, David, I've got a story to tell you. It's a story about a man that had many sheep. But he went to his neighbor's house. His neighbor only had one little sheep, one little lamb. And he took that lamb from this poor man, the, the lamb that his children loved and played with, and took that little lamb and killed it and served it to his guest. And David, with indignation, rose up off of the throne and pointed his finger and said, show me that man and I will deal with him. That is when the feeble prophet Nathan put the finger on, on David and said, David, thou art the man. David was smitten. He had failed God time after time after time again. And so what is it that causes some people to give up and cave in to their failure? What causes them to acquiesce to adversity and difficulty and fade into oblivion, the lives being some nondescript of society and time. I propose to you today that the most amazing part and the most amazing story in the life of David is not his kingdom and not the battles that he won or who he was. It was not his mess-ups, but it was his get-ups. It was not his down-sitting, it was his uprising. There was something intrinsically involved in the heart and the life of David that said even though I'm a man of frailty, even though I'm a man of many mess ups and many many failings one thing that brought David and catapulted him as one of the greatest characters in human history is the fact that he said I'm not going to stay down I'm going to get up I'm going to use that which was against me to my advantage that which would destroy me is going to be the making of me. And so it is. He decided that when his world was crumbling at his feet, I'm not going to lie in the ruins. I'm not going to lie down and bemoan my situation. But I'm going to use my failure. I'm going to use it as a lesson. I'm going to recover. I'm going to get up and I'm going to be the man that God called me to be. I'm preaching to somebody today. You have hung your harp on the willow lamb. You have given up your fate in life. And you've said, I'm just here because somebody asked me. I'm talking to you, sir. I'm talking to you, ma'am. Don't lay down in your ruin. Don't lay down in your ash heap of disappointment. God is telling you to get up out of your failure. Get up out of your demise and be that man and be that woman that God has designed you to be. Would you put your hands together here today? <laughs> Recovering from personal failure 
is a theme that seems to run concurrent the lives of great men, not only in the Bible, but in time and in history. It is found throughout the annals of history, from the ancients and the history, uh, from the ancients and the history of the Old Testament, and in time, fast-forwarding all the way down to Martha Stewart of our day, who spent time in jail but made a full recovery. We don't talk about her failings now. We talk about her success. Oprah Winfrey is one that was told that she would never make it in television. And so we know the rest of the story. Or we could talk about the comeback kid, Bill Clinton, regardless of what you think about him, who brought reproach on the nation and embarrassed his family, only to rise from the ruins of his shattered life and his world of failure to command a speaking engagement at a price of $30,000 per speech. Irregardless of the disdain, irregardless of what you think about him, life gives us men and women and examples that says I'll not let my failings keep me down. I will use them to my advantage and I will move on. And so almost without exception, great people have experienced personal failure more times than not. Time would fail me today to tell thee of Winston Churchill, how that he stumbled and fell many times. Thomas and Edison, you know the story there. The Wright brothers, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, Father Abraham who lied about his wife Sarah, slept with an Egyptian girl, birthed a nation that would forever be hostile to the nation of Israel, Moses who murdered an Egyptian, Paul who declared I am the chiefest of sinners, Peter who fell over and over again. If you want to look at characters who failed, just go back and read the Bible. My granddaughter reading the Bible this week got out of the car and said, man, they were worse than we are. I'm telling you, God does not look how bad people are. He's not looking at you today. He's not looking at you because you messed up. God doesn't see your past. He sees your future and what you can be if you want to be in him. We all know the story of their mess ups and their greatness. But I propose to you this afternoon between their mess ups and their greatness is the remarkable story of how they got up and recovered from the failure. I read a story just recently, not about a person, but about a financial empire, Honda Motor Corporation. It embraced the philosophy where I got my title today. Failure is the secret to success. What's behind the story of Honda Corporation? It's a, it, it was a story that started out somewhere in a little shop, building two cycle engines and sailing them. And then after a while getting into, uh, into automobile engines and motors and, and technology. And so they got into the racing industry. They were in the Formula One race cars and all the fast cars of the world. But they were not doing well because their product was not the best. One day one of their prime drivers was 
driving the best automobile around the track, trying to somehow make it on the world's strange stage of the racing industry, that when somewhere where the engines were revved to some, some high amount of RPMs, all of a sudden the engine just come apart. It exploded, it shattered. Thousands of people were found in the seat of the car on the runway. They said, hurry, pick up the parts. Somebody's gonna, gonna find out uh, how we build engines. And the, then the, the, the president of the corporation said, let them find it. Who wants to know how we build engines? And so in the mid-1990s, they discarded every idea they had about engines. They retooled, they redefined themselves. And now you can go online and you can see it for yourself. The CEO, I believe it is, makes the statement. He says, we have, we have, we have, we have wrapped up and we have all of the market in the racing industry because we learned about our mistakes. We learned from our failures. They said, we wish we had some competition. We don't have any. Well, let me tell you, if the engine hadn't failed, if the engineers hadn't failed, if it hadn't blown up, they would not have captured the world market. Out of the eater comes forth meat. Out of the strong comes forth sweetness. Reach into your problem and redefine who you are. Let me tell somebody today, you are not who people say you are. You are what God says you are. You're not the loser. You're not the down and outer. You're not the one that messes up. You've got to get a hold of yourself today and pick yourself up and redefine who you are. Let me talk to Christians for a moment. We're the worst of the bunch. As Christians, we are so afraid of failure that we become so reserved, overly cautious, and uninvolved in this thing called life. We, we follow a policy of guarded living. I'm talking to somebody today. We hold back our time and our talent and our treasure from doing anything for God because our motto is to keep from failing. Don't try. Some will never attempt that new job because of fear of failure. Some will never know the joy of love because they're afraid of the risk that is involved with love of rejection. On the other hand, those who are willing to make mistakes and risk failure are the ones who ultimately achieve great things. Instead of being filled with fear, they go forward in faith. Problems are challenges. While they may not be solved, these courageous people rather live with that reality than to have a clean record of no failures, but also no accomplishments. Benjamin Franklin said one time, the man who does things makes many mistakes, but he never makes the biggest mistake of all, and that is doing nothing. Tom Watson Sr. was the founder of IBM as well as its leader for over 40 years. 
He believed absolutely in the principle that failures are learning experiences. Once a, a promising junior executive in, in IBM got involved in a risky enterprise and, it, and he lost over $10 million of the company's money. Watson called the executive into his office. And so fearing the worst, the man asked anxiously, I guess you want my resignation, sir. Watson, the chairman, the owner, was astounded at that. And he said, you can't be serious. He said, we've just spent $10 million educating you. He was saying, we learn from our failures. We're not about to spend $10 million and you go away now. We just have to train somebody else. After many failures, you know the story. I'll not elaborate the point, but Thomas Edison watched as his workshop worth millions of dollars at that time went up into flames. All of his research for all the years as he was, I think, 67 years of age, he watched as it burned to the ground. His son was distraught. His wife was not there watching that. She couldn't bear the loss. Thomas Edison stood there with his hands folded, looking at the glimmer of the flame, yelled to his son, go get your mom, bring her out here, and tell her she'll never see anything like this again. She, he went and got his mother, brought her out there, stood next to Thomas Edison. He told his wife, look, look at this, look at this. All my mistakes are being burned up. I can start over now. And start over he did. After 10,000 tries at trying to make a light bulb, he succeeded where many others failed. We don't read about the man. I read about him, but I don't remember his name now. The man that tried to invent flight, tried to build an airplane. He got, he got $50,000 of corporate money invested in him. He tried to fly it in, in, in disaster. The man went into depression over one failure. He went into depression and died a lonely man. The Wright brothers came along with just on a very, very limited budget. Tried time after time after time after time again. Failure after failure after failure. Learning from each mistake. And finally now, we not only go to the airport and see all of these jets coming and going, man goes to the moon, all of that. Why? Because somebody didn't give up. Somebody here today, you've been on the verge of giving up. You're down on yourself. I say don't give up, get up. Don't give up. Get up, because God wants to do something in your life. I propose to you this afternoon, the only difference between successful people and non-successful people is that successful people always get up, while unsuccessful people get down and choose to stay down. Life is made of choices. Do we always make the right choice? Absolutely not. We all make wrong choices. We all fail. The difference is you've got to get up and keep moving and keep going if you're going to do anything for God and in your life. We can choose not to risk failure and do nothing, or we can risk failure and move forward.
The fact of the matter is, no one. Look at somebody beside you and say, not even you is perfect. Some of you enjoyed that opportunity. This message today is not about how bad you messed up or about how successful you are or might become, but it's about what will you do with your failures, with your mess ups. The story of the prodigal son, I'll not belabor the point, but the greatest part of the story is not the bad decision to leave home, blow his inheritance on wine, women, and song. It's not about the hog pit and where he ate with the pigs. It's not even about being restored totally to the position as a son and an heir to his father's house, but it's about the turning point in his life where he said to himself, I will arise. I will get up. I will go. Somebody put your finger in your chest and say, I'm not staying down. I'm going to get up. I will arise and I will be what God has called me to be. I'm hurrying on trying to bring it to a close here today. But today I don't want to talk about where you get, where you've been. God doesn't care where you've been, what you've done. What he cares about is how you're going to handle your mess ups and your wrong choices. David committed adultery. The woman's husband was killed. But every one of David's mess ups that we've preached out here today, one thing about David was he was quick to own up to his failure. He didn't blame other people. He took responsibility. This is your first step in recovery, sir. Ma'am, you've got to say, I messed up, not somebody else. David was also quick to repent, sorrow, sorrowful, putting it behind him and determined not to repeat his mistake again. Number three, he was quick to pick himself up and to move on. And so, and so it was, even after the death of his child, by Bathsheba. Failure can be caused by wrong choices that we have made, or it can be caused by what someone else has done to us. It doesn't matter. It all equals failure. You're down. It doesn't matter what happened, who did what, how bad you messed up. What matters is not what happens to you, but what happens, say it, in you. And so it is today. It can be failure on the job, in the home, in your personal life. Whatever it is, number one, forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. I am reading a book right now called Deadly Emotions, written by a medical doctor and says that the greatest part of physical illnesses are a result, a result of what happens in us and how we handle life and how we handle guilt, and how we handle stress. Not going into it today, but there is a little gland in the front of your brain. Shannon knows that better than I should have her come and tell it. But long story short, whenever we mess up, 
whenever we fail, guilt sets in. When guilt sets in, it releases chemicals in the brain. These chemicals go into our body and begin to cause illnesses and sicknesses all the way, just a wide range and myriad of illnesses. And so it is, my friend, how you handle your failings will also determine your health and, uh, and your abilities to move forward in the future. Let me move on here. Failure is just a part of life. It comes to us all. Come to the instruments, please. I want to, I want to relate a story to you before we go this afternoon. I've read the story before. I returned recently and read it again. Please listen closely. The young man, the young man fell in love with a beautiful woman. Neither one of them was seeking a relationship, but a relationship was seeking them. Right now, I want us to be sensitive to God. I don't want us to lose this moment because somebody here today is here because God brought you here to help you to recover from your mistakes. Let me just say this, and I want to be very candid, very plain. Most of the children out today, I have been pastoring a good while. I have heard the stories. I hear stories from preachers. I hear stories from saints. And I hear stories of people that simply can't move forward because of something that happened to them when they were a child. She was molested by a brother, a father. Molested by a stranger. I recall just recently sitting down with one of the saddest stories I've ever heard in my years of pastoring. Without becoming too plain here today, though I, I, I realize now when, when she came in and the bandana was on her head and the piercings all over her body and the church well-dressed, well-clothed and well-mannered looked at her as others came in and, you know, where's she from? Ha, huh. wonder what she's been into. Don't sit too close. You know, she's not one of us. And that was several years ago. And so it was this sordid, twisted life. I never knew until recently. And she got in church. She received the Holy Ghost. God restored. God healed. She recovered from her problems. And, well, not totally. She still carries some of the baggage. But I listen as she talks about being molested by her brothers, by her father, even by her mother, by her uncles, anybody that wanted to take advantage of her. She was scarred. She was scarred as deep as anybody that I've ever known or ever pastored. And she sets and unloads, unloads all of this. But out of that and through the years, I've seen her pick up and move forward. I've seen her. I've listened as she said, I hold no grudge. I'm not bitter. I've forgiven. I love them. And she heals and she moves on. 
And so today, after a long process of healing, fractured relationships and broken dreams, now you never know it. Beautiful, together, well-kept, worships, loves God. Why? Because there was not a period after failure. It was simply a comma, and she lives life beyond the comma today. Some of you, this afternoon, you've put a period where there needs to be a comma. You've made an end where there needs to be a beginning. You've stopped right where you need to start. And so I ask you to consider the story in closing. Let me start over. He was a young man. He fell in love with a beautiful young woman. Neither one of them was seeking a relationship, but a relationship was seeking them. Swept up by their emotions, the two became deeply involved. She was a prostitute. She, a prostitute, is not prepared to fall in love and is certainly not prepared for the honesty that love requires. She must tell him before it's too late who she is, knowing full well that, he, that, that here painful disclosure will probably mean the end of their relationship. She addresses him and says, Honey, um, uh, there's, there's something that we need to talk about. And he replies, well, okay, if, if you want to. And he said, I'm happy just to sit here and look at you. Sorry, he thought and said, this looks like it's going to be something pretty serious. Looks to me like it's going to be the Dear John speech. And so here we go. And she said to him, it's, it's about me and what I do. Yeah. Wonder when you were going to get up the courage, he says, to talk about it. And he laughs and says, don't tell me, you work for the CIA, right? Sorry, sorry. He says, I'll shut up. She is totally absorbed in the remains of her salad, scrutinizing it for something, anything to avoid his gaze and his eyes. Then she says, there's no easy way to tell you this. And she says to him, I'm a prostitute. I sleep with men for a living. It's a business. I'm very professional. And so the long pause. We see time and silence have this strange thing they do together. They make a chasm that has no bottom to it. And there you are, standing right on the edge of it, aware that at any moment you may be falling and falling with no hope of recovery. At the moment, they are at either, they are at either side of it, each consumed by their private terror. She looks up at last from her salad. He's crying. The tears 
are streaming down his cheeks. And he is biting his lip to stop himself from sobbing. And he says, or she says, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deceive you. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. He can't speak. He wants to, but nothing is working. He's looking at her, at her beautiful face, at her eyes, at the slight hardness around her mouth, and weeping and weeping. She reaches a hand across to hold his. She is beyond tears, empty and bleak and barren. He is mumbling something, but is incoherent through the pain. And when he begins to repeat it again and again, she understands the words or she hears the words when he says I love you I love you I love you I love you this is the worst thing that she has ever heard in her life she wants to scream she wants to break something she wants to tip over the table and rage Instead, some continental shelf rips loose from deep within her. She begins gulping and moaning, a terrible agonizing cry from another place deep within. And the tears are flowing. They grip each other's hands. They lean the foreheads together. The tears are flowing into the abyss and there is no end to them. She expected him to reject her, to pull away from her, to have nothing to do with her. But in a strange and touching way, he did what Jesus would do. He looked beneath the expected criticism. What she received was understanding. Instead of hearing the words of condemnation, she heard over and over again the words, I love you, I love you. Some of you may recognize their names. His name is Hosea. Hers is Gomer. He is the prophet. She's the prostitute. Hosea loves Gomer with an undying love, an unconditional love. She loves him, but because of the deep scars of sin, she feels ugly, unworthy of such love. And so she returns time and time again to her old trade and her old way of life, coming and going, and never really able to accept and understand the profound love from such a holy man you see the Bible story of the prophet and the prostitute is a type of Christ and the church no no let me bring it home today it's a story between God and you God and us you see the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. It has loved 
I remind you today never stops. God forgave David, but David's problem was he could not forgive himself. Some of you, I want you to know God has forgiven you, but you've never got past your failings and you've never forgiven yourself. It's time now for you to let it go. It's time to let it go. Quite apologetically and conditionally, we abuse our relationship with God, not because we want to, but because we simply cannot fathom such a love. Our estimate of ourselves is so low that we go from failure to failure. We come to God and then we go away, driven by our guilt and by our shame, only to return again and again to this, to this lover of our soul. Let me tell you today that if you fail, if you're lost, if you go to hell, it's only because you allow yourself to wallow in the quagmire of your dreaded dilemma and your failure. Success or failure is a choice. And we all have choices to make. Today, some of you will make a choice. But you will not go to hell. You will not go to hell without knowing that we have been loved by the purest of love that can come only from a God who loves us in spite of our pain and in spite of our failings. Would you stand with me today, please? Well, if you're visiting here today and you've looked around you and you've said, man, I've messed up so bad, I don't fit in this bunch. Look at him, look at him. And they love God. Well, let me just tell you, my friend, welcome to the church of mess-ups. I don't... I may not need to qualify this, but let me just tell you, I'm not talking about an excuse to sin, an excuse to mess up and say, well, I'm gonna go mess up so God can use me. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't have to create our mess ups on purpose. There's plenty of them otherwise. And now, and now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you've not come to the church of the perfect people, but you have come to the church of the redeemed. We have come today from all walks of life, prostitutes and pimps, drug addicts and alcoholics, derelicts, losers, down and outers. The only difference is we stepped into an old fashioned church and let the power and the presence of God get a hold of our lives. And then we come to that moment where we are right now that says, I've got a choice to make. I can walk out or I can walk in. We're going to sing.
maybe I've preached too long today, but I just, I just know some of you here today are hurting. You're guilty. You're ashamed of where you've been, what you've done. But I want to tell you, you can go home forgiven and clean and happy and free if you'll let God do it in your life today. sing this again but you're so embarrassed you had enough, enough embarrassment and you don't want to step out that's why I'm going to ask everybody to come together today and when you come each of us even though we've been living for God for a number of years we've still made mistakes we've still failed we fail every day and I'm going to ask you right now to hold your hands like this would you just cup your hands in front of you? And I'm going to want you to say, let's say it out loud, because we're all in this together. God, I've messed up. I've failed you many times. But today I'm not going to take my guilt and my shame home with me. But I'm going to bring it and put it at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to leave it there. Let me, let me venture out to say this. I feel impressed just to say, perhaps as a young lady, I don't know how old, maybe you're older now, but somewhere you lost your virginity to someone you should not have, and you've carried that all of your life. You go to bed with that guilt and shame every night. You get up with it. It looks you in the face. You've messed up. God wants you to bring that to Him today. And when you bring it to Him, He wants you to leave it with Him. And if you will do that, it won't be waiting for you when you walk out the door. It won't meet you when you go to bed tonight. But you'll be free. You'll be happy. We're going to sing again. And I'm asking everybody just to cup your hands. 
Now, if you've never messed up and never sinned, never made a mistake, you can stay where you are. But I don't think we're going to have anybody do that because you've already lied. Come on, let's sing it. Let's bring it to Jesus today.
I just want you to turn to someone right now. I want you to minister to one another in the Holy Ghost right now. I want you to minister to one another and pray for one another right now in Jesus' name. Because what we heard today, what we heard today is the absolute key to God using you. It's not perfection. But it's about releasing unforgiveness against ourselves. Releasing shame. Shame is a grudge we hold against ourselves. The problem with the, the grudge we hold against ourselves is it creates an identity that's different than what God says about you. And if God says one thing about you and you say something different about yourself, you guys are not in agreement. You and God are not in agreement. And you've got to get in agreement with God. The only way you can do that is you've got to forgive yourself and embrace God's identity for you. God says you're a person of valor. God says he's got great works for you. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man, what God hath prepared for them that love him. God has great things for you. The only thing that stands between you and realizing that is rejecting what the enemy has tried to impose upon you because of your failures in your past in terms of an identity and receiving the identity that God has for you right now. In the name of the Lord. That's why I want you to minister to one another right now because this is not just about not feeling guilty anymore. This is about stepping into your destiny. This is about letting God flow through you. This is about no longer being hampered. No longer being hemmed in. No longer being backed into the corner. But letting the Holy Ghost and the anointing flow through your life. Lift up your hands right now as you pray for one another. I pray for release right now. I pray that we would decide to agree with him and not agree with our accuser any longer.
tell you why we struggle. We struggle because we're human beings. And when we see failures in others, we're quick to pick up stones. You know why? Let's just be honest, we're human beings and when we see somebody else fail, it makes us feel better about our own failures. That's why we're quick to pick up stones. Here's, here's our problem. We don't understand that God doesn't have sin, so He doesn't think like that. He doesn't reach for a stone. We think God feels about us the way we feel about other people when they fail. Whatever you had in your hands today, it's probably a lot of stuff we don't even know about, nobody here knows about. But if we did, some of us probably be quick to pick up stones, be critical. And I want to tell you today, whatever you had in your hand and laid at the feet of Jesus, I know exactly what Jesus has to say about it. You want to know what it is? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. to cast a stone that day was the one without sin, Jesus Christ. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. The rest of the message is go and sin no more. We have to understand that this is the spirit of our master, the spirit of our savior. We come to him with our failures. We lay him at his feet. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So if he doesn't condemn me, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me. Yeah. Amen. It's that revelation that gives you the power to live above sin, and be victorious, and be an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Before you're dismissed here, I want to remind you about your life group this week. I want to remind you about the SALT meeting on Saturday, 3 to 4.30. I want to remind you, if you're a guest with us, I would love to have the opportunity to meet you before you leave here in our guest reception right out here. But before we leave, I want you to shake at least two or three people. Shake their hand or give them a high five or a fist bump. Just don't try to do both at the same time or you do the turkey. And I want you to tell them, I want you to say, I'm getting up. Say, well, I'm not down. Doesn't matter, you'll be down sometime. Just say, I'm getting up. Come on, two or three people, tell them I'm getting up. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of Jesus.